When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. That time of the week again, always a pleasure to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And today, what a pleasure it is to celebrate the life of a man who is a member of one of the rare clubs in football. He played more than 300 games for the black and white and the red and white, a premiership player. His name is Paul Williams. Delighted to have him in the studio. Willow, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been a while. It has been a while. It's been been a been a little bit of time, uh, but uh, no, it's good to be good to be in here. You're looking well. You haven't changed. You're one of these <laughs> annoying blokes, I reckon. That when you first got to Collingwood and now, there's not much difference. Yeah, I've um, I haven't I haven't aged as much as what some of uh, my ex teammates have, and I I still exercise where. Some of them don't, um, but uh, I feel I feel really good. I feel like um, I don't feel forty six. There's no doubt about that. Do you want to put some of those teammates in who don't exercise? Yeah, feel free. You can use this forum if you like. Oh no, no, I wouldn't do that. Like um, I think the TV uh, says enough. For Scotty Burns has been eating a few <laughs> tontine pillows. <laughs> Graham Wright, another one. Oh, but I'm not going to name any. No, don't name anybody. Uh, what's life involved for you these days? I work for a company called Upstream Solutions. Uh, so we we basically um, try to take the paper out of business. Uh, we we're, we're owned by Fuji Xerox, um, but uh, that's that's my job. Uh, we we go around businesses and and try to automate some of their process, processes around accounts payable or could be proof of delivery. There's there's a lot of different things that we we do do, um, which which is exciting because it's nice to actually talk to a business about a problem that we, we try to solve for them. Sometimes that we see in the modern day footballer that they've just got too much time on their hands, whereas if you had something else to occupy your thoughts and your brain, it could be a positive for you. Yeah, I think um, look, the, the problem that, that I see with today, even for my daughters, uh, is around the, the social media. Um, having having so much uh, of your life sprayed on, on social media where everyone can see is something that... We, we never did, obviously, because it didn't exist, um, but we didn't have time either, where they, they probably got a little bit more time to troll the comments from the trolls out there and, and whatnot, and then, then they have to be, be able to absorb that and, and dismiss it. Um, but it's very hard. If you're constantly told something which you don't think you are, uh, sometimes you might believe it. You played in an era where it was probably good that there was no social media, but it was certainly good that there were no cameras in phones. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a rap that I played in the era I played. Yeah. Um, be, being able to play in suburban grounds, Vicky Park and Marabin and, and um, gr- grounds like that, 
Princess Park at the time uh, w- w- was really enjoyable because you felt like um, the crowd was a bit closer and you could hear them a bit more. And um, and then to transition to f- fully professional as well was really, really a good um, experience as well. So I feel I was really blessed being able to play in sort of both areas. I probably had about six years where we worked full time and, and obviously played professionally and, and then when it went fully professional, I had about 10 years of doing that, so uh, which which was really good as well. Let's explore just a little bit of that. While you've touched on it, you said you could hear the crowd. Is there one particular sledge that you got over the fence one day in those days that you found amusing or that stuck in your mind? Um, not there, – there was a few um, from – there was a couple from Collingwood supporters to opposition players where I looked at them and said, oh, come on. <laughs> oh, I don't even think that's fair. Yeah. Um, uh, but that's the passion of our game and, and our supporters. But um, I, I remember this, and it was more in Tassie. When I was in Tassie, I remember this old lady. Um, I was playing for North Hobart, and, and she would have been, I reckon, 80, easy 80. And she abused me like I've never been abused ever in my life. <laughs> and I turned around, and her teeth came out. Um <laughs> And I thought, oh well, that, that, now that is funny. That's and, karma. Yeah, and it went it went up onto the onto the grass, and I thought, do I go pick it up or do I go step on it? I, I didn't know which one to do, so I just let it go. Do you think, well, nearly thirty years ago, that your Collingwood teammates would have been running around with yourself and Michael Christian, thinking, now there's the bloke who's going to be deciding the fate of everybody as the match review officer, and here's the bloke who's going to finish up on the tribunal because that's where you are now. Yes, I'm on the tribunal. Um, yes, I get a bit of feedback from friends and whatnot with that one. Um, but, no, it's 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 good. Like I, I actually en- really enjoy still having, albeit really, really small role uh, with the AFL, I still really enjoy having uh, my finger in the on the pulse a little bit uh, with that, and I've um, I've enjoyed my last. I think I've been doing it for the last five or six years, and it's been it's been good. It's uh, we've got a good bunch of guys that are that are on it, and um, we we don't get used a lot because uh, the the way the fine systems and the way uh, Chriso will find someone for an incidental hit rather than uh, take it to the tribunal. So, but having said that, we've we've been up a little bit more than than usual this year. When you go back to the older days, did you spend much time at the tribunal, either as a hitter or a hittee? I got um, I got investigated a couple of times as a hitter, um, which I was proven to be not guilty. Mm-hmm. Thank God for no behind the goals vision back mm-hmm. then. Um, and I was up a few times for getting whacked uh, by a couple of guys, um, which which was interesting. Um, I remember one was I was only about I think I was eighteen or nineteen. And Dale Waitman uh, got me behind play. Got, it was a really good one. And I fell asleep on the ground and uh, woke up in the rooms and I had like 22 stitches um, in my chin and my lips. And uh, and my lip was looked like the nutty professor. It was so swollen. <laughs> and they said, I think it was busy, said, uh, was that a result of the incident? And back in those days, like anything you do is try to get your mate off. Um, and I said, oh, I can't remember. I had no idea. But I couldn't even talk properly, mm. uh, which was quite quite funny. But, uh, yeah, so w- went up a few times. So I got investigated a few times and um, had a, luckily to have a clean sl- slate for my whole career. I didn't get rubbed out once. Do you think the system's working now the way that they've got it with Crusoe, first of all, almost the first point of call, and then you guys if required? Um. 
I think the first protocol definitely is is the right way. I, I think the, the way that um, Chris O's uh, doing it is he's doing a really good job in a, in a difficult environment because he's one out where previously uh, they had multiple people doing doing those games. I like the way that um, they do the game as quick as possible now. Um, so, mm. like a Friday night game will be done by Saturday afternoon or or um, anything like that. So, if there is a contentious issue. That club will know it um, by Saturday afternoon uh, from tonight's game, for example, or, or Friday night's game. Um, uh, so I think that part's good. I think there's still there's still room for improvement. Like like anything, it, it's a there's humans involved. So anything with a human involved, there, there are, are some errors that could come could come into it. Um, we try to stay as consistent as possible, uh, but sometimes the the laws in the game uh, booklet that we all have. Uh, um, tie your hands behind your back a little bit. Will you always err on the side of being a player's man? Is is there a line that you can smudge a little bit if you like? Uh, no, we, we will always um, we'll always be governed by and, and directed a, a little little bit by the obviously the laws of the game in the AFL. Um, but we still, if we still feel like it was uncalled for or if it wasn't a a courageous act or if uh, it was behind the play and if, uh, for want of another word, if it was a bit of a dog's act, uh, we, we will still um, obviously aggressively uh, go with that. We also have pretty good pretty good opinions around what we like in the game, what we don't like in the game. So if there is uh, a incident where even the Stratton uh, incident r- recently, look, mm. look, no one likes that in the game and we didn't like it in the game. And um, th- thankfully he, he did get the, the two weeks for that uh, and therefore that stamps it out straight away because then he won't do it again and everyone's seen all the publicity and the negative publicity for him um, uh, with what he did and so we were keen to stamp that out and uh, we've been able to do that. We wanted to stamp out the slam tackles a lot so we we think that we've done that. Um, So And and there's there's no really bad thuggerish behaviour anymore these days, which which I think is a really positive thing for the game. Gee, we've spoken a lot about technology in this first segment. There probably yeah. wasn't that yeah. much technology around when you were a boy growing up in Tassie, dreaming of uh, kicking the ball at the big time. No, no, there was none of that. Uh, I think we had the beta, didn't we? The VHS, yes. the VHS and beta tapes. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no technology, no phones. I remember my first mobile phone. Um, uh, I had to carry the battery pack, the Motorola. Yeah. I thought I was so cool, um, but uh, these days it's uh, it's definitely lifted, which is good. Like everything evolves and everything gets better for uh, for a good reason. So. Well, speaking of tribunals and mobile phones, I've mentioned this before, but the first mobile phone I ever saw, Dr. Jeffrey Edelston had it, and he turned up at AFL or VFL house as it was, and it was an, in a briefcase. Yeah. It was actually in a case. That was the first one that I laid my eyes on, and I thought, this is incredible. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's amazing how uh, everything evolves. Um, so, yeah, that that uh, was probably a bit heavy. That was a big battery pack for, yeah. for Jeffrey. I'm sure I'm sure it was only the battery pack in that briefcase. Oh, well. I'm sure it probably was. Which part of Tassie was it where you did your early growing up? Uh, I... My family, we we ran hotels, so I'm a son of a publican, um, and we lived predominantly in Hobart, um, but we moved around a little bit. I was in Wynyard up the top there for about five years, uh, but 
predominantly well, for twelve the other twelve years I was in um, I was in Hobart. Um, leaving ahead, do you think the team will ever happen on the Apple Isle? Oh, I hope so. Like uh, the people, the people down there are so passionate about the, the game, and they've been so passionate for so long. Um, it, it'd be an absolute shame if if they don't get if they don't get something down there. Um, because, like, you look at how much money has been spent in the Gold Coast experiment, um, and they've needed to spend that much, and they need to spend a lot more. You wouldn't have needed to spend half of that in Tasmania to get it up and going and, and running really well. Um, I remember when when Richo retired, uh, we both had a, a chat about like, we've got to get a campaign going to try to get a team down there. But the problem is the the the, the local competitions probably dropped away a little bit, mm. um, and that's that hasn't helped and. The, the fear has always been being able to have an arena that could house enough people to uh, fund a, a, an AFL uh, club because we all know how many millions of dollars it costs now to run a, a successful AFL club. And um, it would need a fair bit of government support down there. It would need a, a couple of the big corporates, perhaps you know, Cascade or Cadbury or, or someone like that, that... that um, they heavily get involved financially as well, um, but I'm still hopeful. I'm I'm hoping before uh, my toes are turned up uh, that uh, there's something that happens down there. Whose team would it be, though, Willow? That's the problem. People don't understand if you haven't been experiencing the north-south divide. There is the civil yeah. war that they talk about. Yeah, it's still there. So. Whose team does it become? Is it, is the team based out of Hobart and plays some games out of Launceston? How does it physically work? I think it'd have to be based out of Hobart. I would think it'd have to be. Um, the Northerners won't like that, but mm. it might actually bring them together. Like if they've got, if they do have their own team that they can be very passionate about, they they might uh, they might put aside all their uh, grievances they've had on each other for for such a long time. But I, I think. You've got to go where the the most people are, and the most people are in Hobart. So, uh, if if they do um, eventually are lucky enough to have one, I, I think that will be the starting point. They might play some games out of Launceston as well, uh, so they could. Let's, let's get them in there first. Uh, that, that's probably the hardest thing. So, when you're going through your early steps, sometimes in Hobart, sometimes in Wynyard, who's your VFL team as a kid growing up? I was Richmond. I was a I was a mad Richmond boy. Um, Dad. Played under 19s over here, uh, got in a really horrific car accident um, and and had to go back as a 19-year-old, I think, 18 or 19-year-old. So um, he, yeah, so because he played under 19s, Richmond was the, the team and, and obviously Royce Hart being Tasmanian, look, the, in Tassie at the time it was, you either followed Richmond or Hawthorne. Uh, uh, Hutto with, with the Hawks was obviously very big down there. And uh, oh, and also St Kilda um, with all the the um, past champs from Tasmania. Daryl Baldock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, out of um, out of that club as well. So that, they're all the main three, and uh, it was mainly because uh, of Dad that went for Richmond. And so, how did a kid from Tassie dreaming of the big time find himself at the biggest football club in the land? Um, Oh, I thought I actually thought I was going to Carlton. Um, it, it was interesting because that was back in the day when you could get drafted at sixteen. So I got drafted at sixteen. I, I think I was pick seventy, um, 
at 16. I'd played, I played about eight games of senior footy at 15 in Tassie and, and the TFL back then was a pretty good competition. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of Victorians that are uh, coming and South Australians that were coming down to Tasmania to play because uh, the level was quite high. It was very similar to SANFL and Waffle uh, at, at that point. Um, so I, I honestly did think I was going to Carlton because I, I didn't really – I know West Coast this – is, this is funny. West Coast sent me a letter and said that uh, we're interested in you. Um, can you fly yourself to Perth? And I said, I don't even fly myself to Melbourne. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have the money to do that. I'm 15. Um, so I said, no, thanks. I, I won't be going there. Um, and then our, they, they, um, they picked me up. They, they took a bit of a punt. I, I think because I, we had our Teal Cup in Victoria and I was only 15, 15 16. I think I was just turned 16 then. Um, and I, I had one really good game uh, at Vicky Park because we played at Vicky Park and I can't remember the other place. I think it might have been Princess Park. Um, but most of our games are at Vicky Park. And I played, I remember I played on that um, Anthony Bannock uh, who went number one yeah. that year. And I had a, I had a bit of a, bit of a good game against him and that, that evolved into them taking a punt on me. Translation, I think you probably took him apart, uh, judging yeah. by... Yeah, I kicked eight. <laughs> <laughs> From the centre. And so the journey began, and we'll talk about the journey when we come back on the other side of the break. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Paul Williams on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. More with Willow coming up after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. What a joy it is to have Paul Williams as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. So you finish up at Collingwood and you actually finish up there. You drafted in 89, so you finish up at Collingwood in 1990. You didn't play, but you were part of that famous year at the club. What was that like? Yeah, it was it was pretty, pretty surreal, really. Um, I think because... Uh, back in those days, they had a list, I think, of 52 or 54. So being 16, I had to make a decision, uh, which I, I, I'm really uh, comfortable and glad I did it, uh, of staying in Tasmania and playing a full year of senior football against men, uh, or do I go straight away to 1990 to play under-19s and I might get a reserve game, who knows? I had had no real idea with that. And... Uh, and I said, I remember saying to my mum, I think I'm better off staying and playing and actually learning to get hit and, and, and hit um, some some men rather than playing against kids the same size as me, uh, which, which I ended up doing. And I think it was really, really good decision. Um, but obviously followed the Pies really closely in 1990 because I was a Tiger before that. And then um, uh, dismissed them pretty quickly and uh, went... <laughs> Went and followed the the pies and, and over that journey and and Collingwood were great and they, and they wanted me to come for the grand final experience and all that sort of stuff but I chose not to. Um, I just said no no it's their it's their time. I'll I'll sit back and I'll I'll come and meet everyone after after the fact. Do you regret that now? 
Uh, no, no. I, I think um, I think that the experience would have been amazing. Like actually being at Victoria Park uh, with such a uh, a long drought from uh, when the, the the team had won previously, uh, with so many failures. Failures, uh, sorry, in, in in between time. Um, so that would have been an amazing experience. But I, I, personally, I just felt um, I don't want to. I don't want to go there and get in the way of them celebrating something really special that they've done together as a group. And and I, I didn't want anyone have to babysit me or anything like that. So I just thought it'd be better for, for me and, and for them uh, that they that they uh, enjoy their moment and, and hopefully that I'd get in it to experience that one the next year. I was thinking in my head, uh, but that wasn't to be. They certainly enjoyed their moment. A Some bit, would say a bit too long. Did you see that? Could you see that? Or were you just this wide-eyed kid coming into the football club? Did you sense that there was, we've done what we have set out to do and let's just cruise a little bit? They definitely... Because I I got there obviously start of preseason I, I was there before before that and some of the more senior guys didn't come for a while I didn't see some of those guys for a little while and and listen it's such a huge event uh, who can begrudge them for for celebrating a little bit longer than what what they probably should have um, and, and that's why I think ninety ninety one was so disappointing because the first half of ninety one the, the really good players for the club probably weren't as fit as what they they were the, the previous year. And then in the last half of 91, we really started steamrolling and getting some momentum and unfortunately just missed the six, I think it was back then. Mm. Um, we, we just missed that, and um, uh, which which was really frustrating. And But 92 w- was a pretty good year, like finished equal top but finished third on percentage from memory uh, and lost the first final out straight away. So it was pretty brutal, um, the the final six back then. How were the early steps for you as a young man coming into this established team, as I said at the time, the biggest football club in the land? What yeah. was that experience like for a young man? It was really good. Like Obviously, they had the senior guys were amazing. Like Having Graham right there was really important. Uh, it was Tassie boy, and, and uh, it's funny, like we... Where Tasmanians are like the white indigenous, they they sort of stick together and they're really tight, and they they love seeing each other do well, and they help each other out a, a fair bit. And um, Righty was that for me, um, and then because he was so established, it, it made it easy for me to to meet the Gav Krasiskas and the Darren Malanes and the Peter Dacoses and the Tony Shaws, and 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 Shuri was amazing. Like Shuri was a wonderful leader. He. Um, he just came up to you straight away and, and you didn't feel like you you needed to do anything special for him to talk to you. He just talked to you straight away, um, which was which was really, really nice. When you've played more than 300 games of football, you won't remember all of them, but are, are there any games in particular with the Pies that stand out in your memory? I think the biggest one that stands out was the, the first Anzac Day game, the 95. Um, when uh, Lee Lee Matthews, our coach, um, the great Lee, uh, he said that we we should meet at Victoria Park because they anticipated there was going to be a big crowd. So, which was strange because like we all live around in and around Collingwood, um, and we th- and MCG is not far away, and uh, we just normally park in the grass area and walk walk into the ground, um, but. He said there's going to be more than, than usual and he wants to make sure everyone gets there. 
So we had to meet at the at Vicky Park and we jumped on the bus and we were coming down into Brunton Avenue and it was just a sea of people. The road was blocked. We couldn't get through. They had to have um, some police like clear the way of the pedestrians so we could actually get through to get to uh, get to the ground, um, which which was a huge experience. And having, I think it was, I think it was fifteen or twenty thousand people locked out that couldn't yeah. get in. It was crazy. It was bigger than uh, bigger than a grand final in terms of noise and. Even when um, they did the national anthem, and you know when everyone screams that first time, mm. the actual ground shook, yeah. and I there was something that ran down my leg. I don't know what it was, but I, I think I wet myself. <laughs> I'm not sure, <laughs> but I've never felt that even in big finals or whatever. Uh, that that experience was was phenomenal. Did you get the sense that day, Willow, with everything that happened, with Sav kicking multiple goals, ninety four thousand there? finishes up in a draw, that you were part of something that was just about to start and be one of the most special days in footy? Yeah, it's, um, it's been debated for a while. Should, should Essendon and, and Collingwood still share that, um, that moment? And I, I'm probably a little bit biased, but I think uh, unequivocally they should still have it. I think that those, both Sheedy, um, obviously Sheedy was a big player in, in um, coming up with the, the concept and, and Collingwood embracing it as well has been huge, and um, I think it just wouldn't be the same if if it was someone else that that actually played in that day. It's the same as Dreamtime at the G is is a great event with uh, Essendon and Richmond, um, which I love going and watching and and seeing seeing all the pre uh, activities and then uh, watching a great game of footy. So, in an hour, it's hard to take apart everything that you did in your football career. But when you look at your time at Collingwood, did the football club underachieve possibly because of what happened in that year before you physically got there? I think there was a few things that, that happened. To answer your question bluntly, yes, I think we, we did underachieve. Uh, I, I felt that like we had talent that uh, was well and truly good enough to to play uh, deep in deep in finals. You're not guaranteed premierships or anything like that ever. Um, but I felt like we should have played a lot more finals. There was only, in the 10 years I was there, there was only two finals that that we played in. And uh, one was 92 out straight away, 94 against West Coast over there. Um, was where, that the famous mark yeah, that was dropped yeah, 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 by yeah. Mick? Yeah, which, like, if you actually have a look at it, the, the ball was floating all over the place. Yeah. and. Uh, it was a really difficult mark, and um, that there was other, there was a lot of other things that happened in that game that yeah. we should have cleaned up. Yeah, it's didn't. unfair that that moment is so focused on. Yeah, and and he played a brilliant game. Uh, yeah. Mick, uh, well, Mick was one of the best players I played with, so um, he. Yeah, it's unfortunate that I probably got legs because of uh, Woosh's uh, response yes. after, and that probably gave it more legs than what it deserved. We definitely did under underachieve. I, I thought that we we had a lot more talent than what we actually showed, and it was weird. We we started seasons quite well, uh, and it felt like almost the the group might have got ahead of themselves a little bit, and then they lost their way um, for middle part, the middle chunk of every season. So. Uh, which was really frustrating. So perhaps here's this young fellow who came over and was in some way a distant part of a Collingwood premiership in 1990 and thinking that premierships would come, but it doesn't come at Collingwood. 
But footy has strange ways of doing things, and we'll find out how the Premiership dream actually happened for Paul Williams when we come back on the other side of the break. Hope you're enjoying the chat on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Paul Williams is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. So the decade at the Pies comes to an end. How did it transpire that you go from black and white to red and white? Uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. I, I think um, I had had Rodney Ede as my allies coach back in ninety five or ninety six, and Rocket um, Rocket tried to get me to Sydney the year before, um, and I said no, no, no. I don't, I'm one club player. I'm not I'm not leaving, et cetera, et cetera. And it was also my tenth year that next year with with the Pies. I was really keen to to play a minimum ten uh, with them. Mick Moldas came in, and I thought I oh, probably thought that he would have a, a more of an immediate impact, which was unrealistic, really. Um, when when you look back on it, I just wasn't I just wasn't enjoying my football, and I felt like I needed a break. R- Rocket rang me again, and he actually got a bite off me this time, and I said, "Listen, if." I was still contracted at Collingwood, so I still had a year to go. I said, "Listen, if there's a if there's a trade that can be done, I'll only go to the Swans, uh, you guys, um, and I'll only go if there's compensation for for the pies." And I said, "I don't want I don't want a player to be traded. I just want draft picks. So uh, I don't want to someone from the Swans lose a mate for me to go there." So. That was a couple of my um, requests, and doesn't you don't often always get what you want, but uh, we were lucky enough to to come up with a, a solution which we felt was a, was a win for for both clubs, and the Pies got pick eight or something like that, and and thirty for for me, and then they on traded pick eight to get James Clement and Brody Holland from Fremantle, and both boys were really super players for um, for the Pies for a long period of time, and. And I had some success with the Swans, so I felt like it was a, a really uh, win-win sort of result. What was it like going from, and we've mentioned this a couple of times, the biggest football club where you're under the microscope and everything you do is forensically analysed, going up to a city where, yes, it was a big thing in Sydney, but it's not a traditional AFL football state. Did you notice the difference? Was it stark? Oh, yeah, it was massive. Uh, I, and the best analogy I can have is... Uh, I used to go to the local shop to get bread and milk, and on a Monday is a really bad day to do that. Uh, you get feedback from the owner about uh, everything that happened in the game mm-hmm. in the third quarter. Why did we do this? And uh, and uh, why didn't um, why didn't uh, Shuri make that move or Mick make that move? Um, and it'd take forty five minutes to get home. And I think my then well, now ex wife. Uh, Thought I was playing up on her or something because it took so long <laughs> to get home. Um, but when I went to Sydney, uh, I'd go and I'd be back in five minutes. And mm. she'd go, what's going on? I said, well, no one asked you anything here. They just asked, uh, is that all you want? Uh, bread and milk? Yes, that's all I want. Mm. Uh, so, and, and that's, I think that's a part of why there was so many mature players uh, that went to Sydney that really thrived um, because you could... You could actually be normal. You go train, uh, get as fit as you possibly can, have a really nice lifestyle around uh, the weather, the beaches, the recovery, all that sort of stuff. 
and you could be normal and you, you could walk the streets and and no one no one would know your name uh, unless you were like uh, Barry Hall, Buddy Franklin. Obviously, they're getting more well known now. Um, but back in my day, it was great. Like you could actually be totally normal, and and that was nice. Apart from all of those positives, did you feel as though you were joining a football team that had a chance of going all the way? I felt they had a, a, a backbone of uh, some really quality um, people, um, first and foremost, and they were, they were great players as well. Um, again, there was an evolution of era. It was, a, it was the Paul Kelly sort of era um, where Kel was still to this day like one of the best players I've played alongside of. And him and Andrew Dunkley, Darren Creswell, all that, Wayne Swass, all those guys uh, ended up going and there was a, a void. But that's when the Jude Boltons came in, um, uh, Jared McVeigh to a lesser extent in that sort of era because he was still a young kid. Uh, Ryan O'Keefe, they all started emerging, uh, and then getting Craig Bolton from Brisbane was really important for that for that um, uh, footy team to have the success that we did. And Brett Kirk sort of came from nowhere. Uh, he he was he was probably close to uh, if if Ruzi didn't take over, I think Kirky might have been delisted. Um, Kirky Kirky. Uh, ends up getting an opportunity with, with Ruzi. Ruzi gives him a, a really good chance and he just grabbed it and turned into a wonderful leader. Did you feel as though there was a sense of destiny in 2005? Um, I felt, I really felt that um, we, were, we were definitely good enough. Um, we, we, in 2005, we had that really bad publicity around boring swans and all that sort of stuff. And, and the AFL hit us, I think Demetrio hit us pretty hard yep. between the eyes uh, about our style. And Ruzi had always said that he doesn't care. He, the style that he, he believes is going to win in a grand final is the one that he's going to play. And that's, that's so true because when you look back at it, why... Why do people have, or why do teams have style um, that's not going to stack up in a in a you know cutthroat finals where everything's on the line? And if you're not used to that really contested type of football, then you're going to get found out. And and I think that's why we we did so well for so long uh, in finals and and in big games. Um, we we had a style that that actually stood up and. And yeah, it wasn't the, the the sexiest one going around, and and even like when I first went to the Swans, like I've I the first couple of years I just played normal, and and that that was fine. And then when Ruzi came over, he actually wanted me to go play on some bikes, and I've gone, I don't play on anyone. <laughs> I just want to run around and get the football. Um, but that that was the the real change in mindset where. Where we parked all our egos, we we put all those aside, and um, we we were a true. I felt that we were a true team, um, and that's the only probably time in my career that I felt that we had a group that were would do anything for each other. Everybody, Willow, remembers that one moment of the grand final, that mark. What's the other moment when you close your eyes and you think back to two thousand and five and that day? What's the other moment that springs to mind for you? Oh, it's hard to get past Leo's mark uh, because of how significant it was. Um, I think the, I think the, and this sounds silly, but there wasn't, there was so many other big moments in, in the game and there was so many, 
Like I remember Jude getting his head ripped off and blood coming out of his head everywhere, which just means that he was having a good game. That's just a normal Jude game. Um, I remember, I remember Mickey O'Loughlin getting the ball a lot and like having having some great opportunities and, and not quite getting there. Um, I remember, I remember Goodsy having a, a great game. Um, but the the thing that stands out probably the most is just when the siren went. Like when the siren went and the tingles that you, you felt was um, oh, something that you just – I know everyone says it's it's so hard to explain, and, and it is. It is. It's it's a, a feeling that you, you just can't replicate. If you could, you'd be a pretty wealthy man. And the other great thing was that eventually when the career ended, it was beyond 300 games. You must be really proud of being in that, as I said, one of the most elite clubs in footy. Yeah, yeah. I, look, if you'd, if you'd said that – um, at the start of my career, I would have gone, oh, no, you're kidding, kidding yourself. And I, I think especially because I didn't play any finals my first 10 years. Like I played one finals game in my first 10 years. So, and I missed a, a fair amount, fair chunk uh, with injury. Um, I think I, I think I missed 40 or 50 games through injuries as well. So I was, um, I was really proud of, of getting there. And uh, it was funny, like, Rusey and I laugh about this now, but uh, like Alistair Lynch, great Tasmanian, uh, finished on 306 games. And um, Rusey said, to, this is after the fact, he said, I told Lynchy that I was going to fire you on 306, so you didn't get the 307, <laughs> so you don't have the record for Tassie, you're sharing it. And I said, I said that's nice, that's good, but uh, ho- hopefully someone uh, takes that off both of us. A premiership? 306 games might all pale into insignificance compared to your coaching record. When we come back with our final segment, we'll talk about the illustrious coaching career of Paul Williams on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Uh, It's been a great chat. Hope you've enjoyed it with Paul Williams on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. So Willow, 306 games on the field and all of a sudden you find yourself in the coach's box. As an assistant coach, first of all, what was that experience like? I wasn't sure whether I wanted to do it and and Chris Fagan, uh, who was at Melbourne Footy Club at the time, um, he... He reached out and asked me what what I was thinking of doing, and there was an opportunity to go um, coach the Melbourne midfield. So under Neil Danaher as well, which uh, obviously didn't know Neil, but respected him quite highly uh, from outsider. Um, and and then I, I went and had an interview with him, and, and yeah, I said, listen, this is this is good. I, I want to do this. So I did did that for a couple of years um, with Melbourne. Then went to the Bulldogs for. For three years under Rocket, um, Rocket got me again. Uh, that Tasmanian thing. Uh, yeah. He just just asks, and I say, "Yeah, okay, no worries." Um, so I had three years, really good three years with him. Um, that was a a great learning curve for for coaching. And um, what was that experience like sitting beside him in the coach's box? Yeah, interesting. Um, <laughs> it uh, he was. He's an amazing tactician, uh, Rocket. Like he, what he was able to do and manipulate, if I can get it out, um, uh, the game from the coach's box was better than anyone else that I, I'd had anything to do with, and and he could do it whilst he was redlining as a as a, a coach emotionally, uh, where not a lot of people can 
can, can think really rationally when they're so emotionally involved in a game. And he, um, he could, he just had the ability to be able to see everything, um, when, when he was redlining and, uh, sitting next to you, next to him was was very interesting. Uh, did it prepare you for actually sitting in the big chair because you did that three games? Now I mentioned this impeccable record. What's your winning percentage as a coach? Uh, we're not going. Are we talking? Let's not talk volumes of games. No, 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 no. no just percentage. Percentage sixty six point six seven, I think, or six 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 recurring, yeah. or whichever one you want. Two games out of three. <laughs> <laughs> but it started pretty well, didn't it? Because when you were thrust into the chair, first of all, how did that all evolve? And um, was it a daunting thing for you to be sitting in the big chair? Because I had such a really good relationship with Rocket, um, I felt a little bit uh, uncomfortable sitting in a, a seat that he occupied for so long. Um, but he he told me to, to go for it and he gave me his blessing. And, and I think that, that made it quite easy for me to do that. Um, I enjoyed that. I, I really enjoyed the pressure of coming up with a, a plan to give the, the guys hope that they were going to win a, a game of football. So you've gone from assistant coach into the big chair and obviously you want everything to work. Obviously had a cracking start. I think they kicked 10 first quarter in Adelaide against Port. 10-3 um, to one goal, I think it was at quarter time. I said, this hot seat, it's, it's cool as. Like, I don't even, even know why you guys worry about it. But uh, we were very lucky. Everything that went right went right in that first quarter. Do you wish you had a coach more than three games? Yeah, I would have loved to. I, I did get the, the taste of actually having uh, that responsibility. I, I did really enjoy it. Um, and I did go, I did pitch for the, the Bulldogs job quite heavily. And it, in the end, it was, I think it was um, Macca, uh, Leon and myself in the last last three. And um, uh, unfortunately, didn't get it, which was fine. And then uh, Brendan McCartney wanted me to stay. And I just felt for him, um, it'd be better if I did move because being at the club for three years, albeit it's only three years, but coached them, albeit for three games, I thought that they probably needed a, a total fresh look uh, and uh, his fresh ideas and, and, and new eyes on, on, on the playing list. And, and I thought it would be better if I, if I went to Carlton uh, under Brett Ratton. So many brilliant moments in your football career and we've discussed many of them. As we come to the end of our chat, probably the biggest question. Are you a pie or a swan? <laughs> the best way for me to answer this is I've got two beautiful daughters. One is mad Collingwood and one's mad Sydney. I've sort of got that. I really love the way uh, Bucks has got them going and the style that they're playing and, and, and the group that they've got. So I had an opportunity to go and sit in the, the box uh, a few weeks ago uh, with the Pies and that was, that was a great experience. And um, So to answer your question, I'm back in Melbourne now. I'm probably more Pie. It's been a brilliant life in football, Willow. More than 300 games, that incredible coaching percentage that we just touched on that will be the envy of coaches everywhere and they'll be aspiring for that 67. Let's round it up to 67%. Always. Let's No, 70. Let's go. Okay, well, you're to the nearest 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's been a brilliant journey in football and it's been great to share it with you over the last hour. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Pete. Cheers. Paul Williams joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives, another great of Australian sport. We'll be here same time next week. Hope you can join us then. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91